Welcome to this Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm joined in just a moment by my bleary-eyed friend, Ryan Lavner, who is celebrating a Georgia victory, the first in his lifetime, I think, if I'm doing the math correctly. But before we get to that, the new Rogue ST drivers from Callaway were the number one drivers in play at the Century Tournament of Champions. 11 players used the Rogue ST, including world number one, John Rahm, Xander Schauffele, Abraham Anser, and Phil Mickelson, who called his new driver a, quote, game changer before the event. These are Callaway's fastest, most stable drivers ever with industry-leading innovations like their new tungsten steel cartridge, jailbreak speed frame, and AI faced optimization. For more on the incredible new Rogue family, visit CallawayGolf.com. Lav, before we get to the golf, and there's plenty of golf to talk about with last week's Tournament of Champions, this is Tuesday morning, 921. How long have you been awake, and how did you celebrate last night's victory for your Georgia Bulldogs? Uh, I've been awake for four hours. Uh, yes. Despite, despite my euphoria, uh, I still do have two young children, uh, three and under. Uh, and so, yes, I was going to be waking up at a time. I do have, Rex, a nap in my immediate future, probably after this podcast, probably after a meeting. Uh, I will look like Ugga with droopy eyes, and I will definitely be passing out for two or three hours this afternoon. I, I laughed at two things. One, you sent out a tweet just before the game that you got both children down before the kickoff. You thought that bode well. I, I agree with you. Yep, that was a bit of a victory. So you're already one step ahead of Alabama on that front. And the other one was, and I, I, this just came to me, I woke up about halftime and started watching the game again. It came to me as I'm watching Stetson Bennett the fourth that he is the type of guy. He looks like the type of guy that you would call a can't-miss player coming on the PGA Tour. He, you, you would tell me, Rex, He's going to be the player of the year in four years. I mean, I just couldn't help. Just He looked exactly like the kind of guy you would love to be on the PGA Tour. Yeah, like he would definitely have like a polo sponsorship. Uh, he would wear like foot joys. He'd be very prim and proper. He's actually a really good quote. I don't think the, the post-game uh, quick quick crush there with, with Holly Rowe really did him justice. He's actually a really thoughtful guy which i think would also put him in line with a lot of the pga tour players but yeah like billy billy Payne, the former augusta national chairman was there you could just see billy Payne being so excited with georgia's first national title in 41 years that he I, he could just bestow a a, a membership upon stetson ben the fourth because he's he's the new savior for for georgia athletics just put the green jacket over the shoulder pads just let him run around the field in it in the post- I, I, think, I think i think there's going to be a statue of kirby <laughs> and there's going to be a, a, a green jacket waiting for Stetson Bennett. So I, I wanted to circle back because like you said, Rex, you said you, you said you woke up at halftime. Halftime was at like nine 30. What, what was going on at the Hoggard household? We, we had some people over, we, we had kids over and they had friends over and they, they all kind of crashed out towards the end of the first quarter to go first somewhere quarter. else. First quarter yeah. was over at like nine. I know, I know. Like they crashed out and it was just me and my youngest on the couch. And, and he, he goes to sleep like a cat. I mean, it doesn't matter where he is or what position he's in. And he just kind of lulled me to, to sleep. But I woke up. I, I was aggravated. I, I don't have a – I didn't have a dog, D-A-W-G, in that fight. However, I do have some sympathy for the Georgia fans. I certainly have a lot of friends who are Georgia fans. So I was quite aggravated. It was not an enjoyable first quarter for me. So I did go to sleep. I'm going to admit it. That was not really an enjoyable first three quarters if if we're being honest and Stetson Bennett I, looked like the guy who was going to blow the masters to, to carry on the theme he looked I mean that first <laughs> possession he looked like so I jittery on this field 
that's definitely he definitely missed a three footer on the first hole. Like it was just it was just like a bad omen. Like him 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 fumbling while while out juking himself was a a really bad omen. That was just such an ugly offensive performance. I do want to talk about Sezabet, not just because he reminds us of, of someone who could play in the Masters, but he really is an inspirational story. I mean, this is a former preferred walk-on who just led uh, his home state to its first national championship in 41 years. And over the past couple of years, Rex, he has been an absolutely maddening player to watch. I know you have not seen every single Georgia game, but there's times where he looks absolutely brilliant. He's, you know, escaping the pocket. Uh, he has all the throws. Uh, his decision-making is very sound. And then there are other times, I think back to the, the Florida game last year or the SEC championship game against Alabama this year. And you just say, this guy is totally overwhelmed and overmatched. And that's kind of the way he looked for the first three quarters in this national championship game. And for him to turn it around in the fourth quarter, go a perfect eight for eight, two touchdowns, uh, I think 94 yards, uh, and, and salt the game away. It's really an inspirational story, what he was able to overcome throughout his career. And seeing him sob on the sidelines, I was pretty, you know, I was obviously excited. I, I, I basically touched the ceiling uh, with euphoria once I saw no, you did. Uh, that, 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 that pick six uh, within, with, with a minute left in the game. But to see him sobbing on the sidelines, seeing how much it meant to him, seeing that kind of emotion wash over him after what has been a really trying uh, five-year career at Georgia. That, that got to me, and I actually started tearing up a little bit. All right, that's enough of the national championship game. You can enjoy it. You can check out all of Ladner's thoughts on the national championship game. He was prolific on Twitter last night. Very, very enjoyable. But I do want to get straight to the tournament of champions. And the one thing, when I was watching it, and again, it was kind of a late viewing here at the Hoggard House, so I was having a hard time staying awake. You the didn't, one, the you only didn't, you thing, didn't actually watch, did you? No, 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 I did. I did. Because I was curious. I love the way Kapalua looks on TV, the way it plays. However, if Twitter is any gauge... People hated this. And I don't know. It's obviously just a small sample size of people who are, who are piping off on Twitter. But the fact that Cameron Smith finished at 34 under par, setting a new PGA Tour record for under par on, in a 72-hole event, people hate that. And I don't understand why. I don't get why in a particular week where we know this is not going to be a difficult test. We know this is a resort course. We know this golf course is built – 51 weeks out of the year, so the 18 handicaps don't have to go looking for too many golf balls. And you can't turn that around, regardless of how much distance you put on it. If there's no wind, if the conditions are favorable, which they were, it was a soft golf course, of course this is what's going to happen. Cam Smith at 34 under par. John Rahm at 33. Matt Jones at 32 under par. People hate that, and I don't understand why. I really don't understand why either. And look, last week at Kapalua was was obviously – the outlier. When you think of the past 61 years on the PGA Tour, only three players in history have finished 30 under par or better in a PGA Tour event. Three players in the last 61 years. And last week at Kapalua, we had three. We had Cam Smith, who absolutely obliterated that previous mark of 31 under. We had John Rahm at 33 under. We even had Matt Jones, who shot 123 on the weekend. Rex, you've shot 123 in a single round. So just it's mind-boggling to think of Matt Jones shooting 123 uh, on the weekend. That was the lowest 36-hole score to par in tour history. But you mentioned it. How about a little context here? I mean, the Tournament of Champions is not a major. 
it's never pretended to be a major. It never will be a major. It should never be considered a serious golf tournament. It is a soft launch to the new year played on Paradise. The plantation course at Kapalua was literally the easiest course on the PGA Tour last season. It is a resort course with 50-yard wide fairways, very large greens, soft greens because they need to obviously protect against the wind. And so if you have 50-yard fairways, 50-yard wide fairways, if you have slow, soft greens uh, because of rain that they've had over the past month, and you have no wind, I mean, that was probably the calmest I've ever seen it uh, at Capitol. It was blowing 5 to 10 miles an hour. It looked absolutely beautiful for the beach, looked beautiful for around, uh, not so beautiful if you were looking for these players to get tested. Look, just put up with it, man. Like, this is an, it's an outlier. Of course they were going to tear it up. These are the best players in the world. You give them any soft, windless golf course, and they are absolutely going to obliterate. Do we want to see it every single week on the PGA Tour? No. Of course not. You, you know, we want them to be pushed. We want them to be challenged. We want them to think of something other than making 30 birdies in a tournament. But this was an outlier. Just appreciate it. Just like I thought last year, the BMW Championship, where you had uh, Patrick Cantley and Bryson DeChambeau challenging you know, deep into the, the upper 20s under par. I thought that was the best regular season golf tournament of the year. It was exciting. It was a birdie fest. It's something we don't see every week. Just sit back and enjoy the show. Enough of this hand-wringing over you know, the, the, the record-shattering scores last week. Well, and my point is, are you not entertained? Like, look, I love Kapalua. I think when it comes across on TV, it's in such a good spot on the calendar because it's the time of the year that most folks in the North and Northeast are just huddled in their houses, hiding from the cold and the snow. And you turn this on and it's paradise brought right into your living room. I think it's always been this brilliant fit that golf has come up with. And yes, the golf course is very, very easy, even when it's windy, which they normally get the Kona winds. It normally is very much part of the situation. Even when you get those winds, guys still shoot under par. It's not that the hard. Average, Rex, Rex, the average winning score, I did this for, for Monday Scramble, the average winning score of the last seven champions was 22 under par. 22 under par, and that's when it's blowing. It almost always blows 15 to 20 miles an hour during this tournament with, with Gus above that. So if it's 22 under par, when it's blowing, what do you think is going to happen when it, when it absolutely lies down? I mean, there's five par fives. There's reachable par fours. The par threes uh, aren't, aren't that stressful. Of course these guys are going to tear it up. Well, it's funny. I, I wrote this in my notes. I was listening to a report. Our, our friend Steve Burkowski was doing his first live shot from there. And his first live shot was a report on the weather and the conditions, which you and Berko, I always kind Berko of – loves weather reports. He loves the weather loves conditions it. update. Yep. Uh, and, and I always kind of, I roll my eyes a little bit, if I'm being honest, but then I listened to what he said and he talked about how soft it was and the alarms went off. It was, oh my, this is going to be low. I didn't know it was going to be historically low week as far as scoring goes, but that made me want to watch it more. I go back to the folks on Twitter. I don't understand where this irrational anger comes from because are, are these the same folks who are going to get mad when we go to Brookline and two under par wins and they're going to say it's tricked up and and the usga has done it again and why do they have to do that just let the players play like it seems to me like there's no happy medium for that very very loud voice on social media when it comes to these types of things yeah look i don't want to see my u.s open winner at 15 under par i, I don't think care. i think the fedex cup playoffs should be difficult like east lake if if that was producing a, a super low winner that would be really disappointing to me but like it's kapalua 
it's the first event of the year. All these guys have put away their clubs over the holidays. They want to knock off some rust. They don't want to play in 25 mile an hour wins either. And I actually wanted to touch on this, like the, the tournament of champions less than a decade ago, eight, eight, nine years ago, it was on its deathbed Rex. There was talk of, you know, expanding the field to include LPGA winners. Maybe they should expand the field by offering two year exemptions. Uh, Maybe all uh, past winners should be invited. Like they were trying to, to reinvent this tournament. And yet now you look at the guys who have, have turned up. You had eight of the top 10 players in the world. You see some of the young players, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Xander Shoffley, Victor Hovland, Kyle Morikawa really embrace uh, this tournament of champions. They don't want to go to this golf course, even though it's beautiful, even though it's in a tropical locale, they don't want to go and get beat up either. They want to ease into the new year, knock off a little bit of rust get four rounds under the belt, collect the paycheck, collect some FedEx Cup points. That's what they want. They do not want a stress fest out of the gates. Those who are turning up at Torrey Pines or Riviera, yeah, you're probably going to get kicked in the teeth a little bit. But to show up at Kapalua, you're expecting an easy golf course. That's what you're signing up for, and that's what you're always going to get. And I think that's what the tour wants. Because, again, I don't think the folks who are huddled, the huddled masses up north who are hiding from the cold and the snow want to sit and watch guys grind it out for par. I don't think that's what they want. If you go back to your point, there was a time, and, and we, can, we can put a name and a face to this. There was a time when Phil and Tiger Woods in their prime had no interest whatsoever in Maui. Phil played this week only because he has to, according to his own Twitter account. Hadn't played since 2001. There's a reason. They didn't like going and dealing with the Kona wins, and they felt like it got both of their games sort of out of whack during a time of year when they were much more interested in other things, whether that was Torrey Pines or L.A. or even looking ahead to the Florida Swing and the Masters. This is an entirely different generation, to your point. Just one player who was qualified for that event did not go. It was Rory McIlroy, and I think that's become – Who who played in 2019. It's not like he's been totally skipping this tournament for years. And he continues to tinker, I've noticed, with his schedule, especially early season schedule. I think he's still looking for some sort of <laughs> Trying to find that green jacket. Yeah, are you, so you, you going to play five times? Are you going to play ten times? you going to play three in a row? Are you going to play once? What are you, you going to do, Rorsch? Am I going to go to the Middle East? Am I going to go to California? What am I going to do? It's all just you're rolling the dice. Come on. Give me, <laughs> give me a seven. Someone give me a seven. He's just hoping for the best. I, again, I, I'll go back to this. I just don't see where, where the harm is. Because, look, you go to a golf course this week, and this is our preview section, where the Sony Open, it's the type of golf course where you cannot stand on the tee and just spray it all over the place. There is Bermuda rough that is penalizing enough that suddenly it does become important that you try to put it in the fairways. Angles suddenly come into play. I think you did tweet this, and, and I echoed it. I, I think I might even retweeted it. I would have been proud of it. About Bryson DeChambeau, he withdrew. And I, I want to get into a more extended conversation about Bryson in a moment, but he withdrew from this week's Sony Open with a wrist injury, it would have been wildly entertaining to watch him pluck his way around that golf course and to see, is it going to take the driver out of his hands or is he going to go full wing foot and just hit driver all over the lot and try to play his wedge game? I just think we're going to get, it's going to even out to your point. We're going to get to the harder golf courses as we move towards the East coast through California. We're going to get to Bay Hill, which in my opinion is too hard for where it's played that time of year. I just don't think the guys particularly like that hard of a test it's all going to even out how come you just cannot be entertained by cameron smith and john rom john rom who by the way shocked me a little bit because i did not see him shaking off the rust that quickly uh john rom world number one uh, showing he is when you talk about scores rex while i 
it's on a different island. It's on it's in Honolulu. They also have been absolutely inundated with rain over the past month. The golf course. Wait a minute. What's the name of the island sucks. that it's on? Wait a minute. What's the it name? It is of the on the island of Oahu. There you go. I wanted to make sure you didn't think the island name was no, Honolulu. No, no, no. I got it. Nailed it. I definitely know my geography, even though I've never been to Honolulu. Um, uh, very soft golf course. This was the golf course, obviously, that Justin Thomas uh, shot 59 on a couple of years ago. You always see guys posting 61, 62, 63s on this par 70 golf course. We are going to see it again. Those, those who are waiting for, you know, 13 under par to win a PGA Tour event are probably going to be waiting until the farmer's insurance open when I turn up at, at Torrey Pines. It's, it didn't happen at Cap Blue, obviously. It's not going to happen this week at the Sony Open. It's not going to happen next week where you're going the American Express yeah. PGA West, which is always a birdie fest. It's fine. It's early in the year. Yes, it, it matters, and there's a lot of world ranking points and FedEx Cup just points enjoy up it, for man. stake, but just sit back and enjoy the show. Birdies, we don't want to see it every single week. But just enjoy it. This is still kind of the the sleepy part of the schedule. Just just relax and look. The, the Sony Open Field, if we're being honest, is is not great. There's a lot of PGA Tour journeymen there. There's a lot of uh, Corn Ferry Tour graduates. There's a. It's just it's just that type. The Sony of, Open is where Stetson Bennett the fourth would start his PGA Tour career. Of course, of course, he would. He would he would ease into the new year, tie for twenty fourth, and just get. Uh, his 2022 underway. This is the type of golf course. I mean, Charles Howell III, this is a perfect golf course for him. There's a reason why he is the all-time money leader here. That is the type of golfer who is going to excel. It's a, it's a Zach Johnson type plotter place. And so the field kind of reflects that, especially with Bryson DeChambeau out. He withdrew on Monday of tournament week with wrist soreness. That was going to be such a fascinating experiment to see how Bryson Ball was going to play on one of the most quaint claustrophobic layouts on the PGA Tour. He has played uh, this tournament before, actually a, a handful of times, uh, most recently in 2019. He's a vastly different golf golfer now. It's I, I feel like we're robbed of some early season entertainment because that would have been absolute appointment viewing, seeing how big, bad Bryson takes on tiny little Wiley. And I feel bad here because I don't like the idea that social media is going to drive the conversation, at least the conversation on this podcast. But after the irration, ir- the irrational anger over the low scoring in Kapalua, the, the second most talked about thing and then complained about thing was the ban on green reading material and how that's going to impact the field. And I think the the you know the quick Monday morning quarterback assessment is, oh, well, there's record scoring clearly. No one needed the green reading material. I think our colleague, John Wood, who's a longtime caddy, Hall of Fame caddy, in my mind, who has made a really, really easy and marvelous transition to TV, has done a really good job of this, explaining that, look, there was only a handful of guys on the PGA Tour before this ban who actually used this book correctly. So what you're probably going to end up seeing is the guys who didn't use it correctly, they're probably going to putt better. I'm still going to argue that outside of just a handful of players and Bryson being one of them, I'm curious to see how he makes the transition because he did depend on those green reading materials quite a bit, but outside of just a handful of players, this is not going to make a difference. And I only say that because a few years ago when the USGA and the RNA allowed changed the rule that allowed players to pat down spike marks. I was curious how that was going to impact play at the highest level on the PGA tour, because I think it was Phil 
who had gone on sort of this sort of explanation tour of how it was going to make such a huge difference. And I, I checked it statistically year to year, there was a dramatic improvement on the PGA tour as far as putting strokes, game, putting two putt. I mean, three putt avoidance, all of the I mean, things that, that actually, that actually seems like a big deal. That was like, a big deal. I, I yeah. remember talking to Brad Faxon about this and him saying it was probably going to be the biggest thing that changed golf, at least at the highest level in his generation, it was going to be, this is going to be the titanium base driver and the special golf balls. As far as putting goes, this green reading material is not going to be it. I mean, I'll immediately go to Bryson who struggled at Kapalua. He struggled at Kapalua because he finished 33rd out of 39, I believe in the field and strokes gain off the tee. His main weapon turned into a liability on a golf course that he should have been able to launch it all over the lot and take advantage of it. This has nothing to do with putting. The, the ban on green reading material is not going to impact the winners, week-to-week winners, statistically year over year. It's just not going to be that big of a difference as opposed to if you want to look at something, spiking down, uh, tapping down spike marks. The only thing, Rex, that I'm intrigued by is the fact that PGA Tour players now are going to have to use the honor system and none of those previous handwritten notes that they'd had in their previous green reading books can be transferred to these new committee approved books that are now allowed on the PGA tour. How will that be policed is so intriguing to me. If a PGA tour player suddenly grinds to a halt on the greens and is, it is referring to their books over and over again, how can we be sure that those notes that they are glancing at were obtained during regular practice round play when they're making notes with their caddy and not something that he got from 2017 or are players going to be policing each other during practice rounds and you see someone off by himself with a level are you going to call a pj tour rules official over and make sure that he either gets penalized disqualified i'm not really sure what the penalty is going to be for that that to me is the intriguing part because when push comes to shove if if PJ Tour status, if a PJ Tour card is on the line and you start getting towards those late regular season events and players' desperation levels increased, will they revert to some of those old notes? I think is a really intriguing storyline. It is, and I think it's very confusing. And again, I'll go back to John Wood, and he sent this out last week before the Maui started to playing. But this is a quote that from a tweet that he had on, on the PGA Tour before the round. Your coach comes to you and says, eight is playing extremely long. No one has gotten to the green all day. You can write that down in what is now an approved book. If he says that putt on eight today is extremely slow, no one has gotten into the hole, you cannot write that down. And it seems so silly. And to your point, it's going to be something that it's going to be a rule that's going to inadvertently be violated. Like you kind of took it a step too far, in my opinion, where you're saying someone vying for their card is going to write something illegal down, knowing that they're writing. I'm something saying when out. I'm saying desperate players can uh, resort. I'm not saying they will, really? but desperate players could resort to desperate measures. Absolutely. They're playing for the livelihood. No, I, I'm not buying that. I, I've just never seen that at the highest level. We've seen certain You've things. You've never about- seen players cutting corners or making slight improvements to their lives when desperate times call for it. Is that, is that what you're saying on the PJ tour? I've you're seen players. Every single, you're saying every single player plays by the rules. I've seen players take drops that are questionable. I don't know if that's out of desperation. I don't know if that's out of ignorance. I don't know if that's something within them that's devious because I mean, this goes back to last year at Torrey Pines, right? When we had the, I'm saying the there is the potential for players, if they mm-hmm. wanted to, if 
for some reason they felt compelled to to potentially skirt some rules. That that to have me. Have you awesome. ever heard of a player that just outright cheated just to keep their tour card? Is uh, that what you're insinuating here? Is that what you're is that where you're heading with this? Don't know of one personally. Not putting it past that potential over the next decade with this new rule. I'm not. I'm just gonna say that. That that just seems to me a step too far, and I'm not saying that you're wrong on this. And I think what I'm saying is I'd have to see it. You just said it, you just said it's a step too far. Then you say I'm not wrong. Which which one is it? I, I for me personally, it's a step too far. If I'm being honest, and again, I'll go back to Toy Pines last year with whatever happened with Patrick Reed when he took the drop, and then the same thing ended up happening to Rory McIlroy, and it was such. It there were two sides of this coin. One was was Patrick Reed who I think everyone immediately wanted to jump on and blame because he's Patrick Reed. And then the other was Rory McIlroy, who everyone wanted to believe because he's Rory McIlroy. And I don't know, like you never know what's in a player's heart. And I don't think that's something journalists or even rules officials can dig into when they're making these types of rulings. I don't believe in either case that either Rory or Patrick were trying to cheat. Did they violate the rule? Maybe. I don't pretend to understand that rule well enough. And I don't think we have enough information. I just find it hard to believe that someone's going to stand there and say to themselves, I really need to get up and down here to keep my card. So this is something I'm going to do. I don't know, Rex. Not in, I'm not in that position. It would wow. not. How about this? It would not shock me. Your turn, man. It would not shock me if that happened. How about that? It would not shock uh, me if that happened. No, no. I, I, it's, I an un, it's an unenforceable rule. There's not going to be a rules official on the first tee saying, Oop, let, me, let me check your greens books before you head on out there. And where'd you get this note on seven? Where'd you get this note on 16? That's not going to happen. And it's so- problematic because people are going to violate the rule inadvertently. And, and the same thing happened. And I remember writing about this when the tour first initiated drug testing and talking about some of the ways that you could violate a drug test and have no idea that you were doing it. It's not as though you're taking steroids or using the cream or, or any of these things that we think of when we talk about anti-doping and drug use uh, and at the highest levels. It was something completely innocent. It was a, something you took when you had a cold and your doctor prescribed and suddenly you, you pop positive and you had no idea what you were doing. I think this is going to be very, very similar. And that's why I read that John Wood tweet saying that, look, you, I bet you nine out of 10 players don't know the rule to the extent that if I walked up and asked a specific player, can you write this in your book? You'd probably get a shrug. I don't know. Can I? Like you tell me. Like, and that's, that's going to be problematic. One guy, Rex, and I feel like we've glanced over him. He can fill it up with greens books, without greens books. Uh, he can probably make putts blindfolded. And that is Cameron Smith, who actually won the TOC. And he did so in incredibly uh, yeah, remarkable fashion, uh, staring down the world number one over the weekend, world number one, John Rom, who was absolutely lighting it up, uh, and then birdied the 72nd hole. Uh, to win fourth PGA Tour title for Cam Smith, second uh, title individually. Look, he has long been one of the best putters on the PGA Tour. He's perennially ranked uh, inside the top 10, and he, he in fact, uh, led the TOC field on the greens. That was not the surprising part to me. The surprising part to me, Rex, was that Cameron Smith led the Tournament of Champions field off the tee with all of those incredible drivers of the golf ball in that field, including John Rahm, the player who he was going up against over the weekend. It was Cameron Smith who was the best driver at Kapalua. And that's a surprise to me because you look at his driving statistics since 2015 on the PJ Tour. He has never been better than 
and 19th. And there's just anecdotal evidence as well suggesting that he was a very poor driver of the golf ball. He had two chances in the last five months to win big-time tournaments. The first was in Memphis, a tournament I covered, blew it way right on the 72nd hole at TBC Southwind, uh, ended up missing out on a playoff, and then at, uh, in a playoff uh, at the Northern Trust with Tony yeah. Finau, blew it basically into the Hudson River uh, so far offline that he essentially handed that title to Finau. And yet, you look at him at Kapalua, obviously a wide-open golf course, but he was putting himself in better position off the tee than not just Rom, but everyone in the field. And when he was asked about it afterward, because he, he picked up some speed over the offseason, he obviously improved his accuracy. All he said that he could chalk up the improvement to was, quote, probably just hitting more balls with the driver, to be honest. I'm not lazy, but I guess I'm lazy on the range. I get through the wedges and the irons, and then I'm like, oh, I'm ready to go home. And I barely hit driver. So I made sure I stayed there for an extra 10 or 15 minutes and actually hit some balls. So, yes, I would say that formula worked. That 10 to 15 minutes of, of extra practice of his driver uh, paid off for Cameron Smith because that was really his chief weakness. Cam Smith now up to number 10 in the world, four-time PGA Tour winner, as we mentioned. He, Rex, he has finished in the top 10 of the Masters three of the past four years. Would it surprise you, Cameron Smith, major contender this year in 2022? No, it wouldn't because of that driving display. And again, it probably has to come with an asterisk because it is Kapalua and I can hit. But he was still the best. He was still still the best of the best. I mean, on Sunday, he hit 14 out of 15 fairways. And and not to mention that he finished with four consecutive birdies to hold off the world number one, John Rahm. It was a gutsy performance. There is no other way. So, no, I don't think I would ever count him out being a contender in a major championship. I think when it comes to the Masters, that's the one that the Australians are always going to gravitate to, right? I mean, that's the one that... Scotty had to break through, and Jason Day was close so many times. Reese was come close, yeah. And the Greg Norman Norman's legacy. come close. Yeah, and everything that goes into it. But I can see him contending at any major. I don't know that his particular game is, again, you pointed out, the dude can fill it up on the greens. And that normally translates to whatever golf course and whatever type of golf you want to play if you can putt well. And I think in this particular case, absolutely, I could see him contending. What I thought was funny, and, and we're going to have to do this in a few weeks, I was watching – golf today on monday morning and i was taken by the idea that the conversation because of cam smith turned to the president's cup and is as encouraging and i look we're going to be in this situation so i'm not being overly critical but the idea that cam smith is somehow going to be the savior of that international team i find is comical simply because there hasn't been a savior you've had players who have played well louis reese has played very very well in matches past and it's never even been close to enough. I, I need to see 12 Cam Smiths on the green later this year at the President's Cup to change my mind on that one. So, peeling out the curtain a little bit, uh, in my season preview Monday scramble, uh, in a section I call this week's award winners, I said that the blowout of the year is going to be the President's Cup. I said that for two reasons. I don't want it to be a blowout. But I think it is going to be a blowout. The Americans, this might be the most impressive team they've ever cobbled together, and it hasn't even come to fruition yet. But if you look at right now, and it is insanely early, Dustin Johnson would not even be an automatic qualifier for that American team. And he is the third-ranked player in the world. Couple that American strength 
with Quail Hollow, which is going to be set up uh, as a bomber's paradise. And I think the Americans are going to roll. So I, I wrote that. Trevor Immelman, uh, our friend, a Golf Channel analyst, uh, NBC Sports analyst, uh, clearly took exception to that. And it has seemed to provide some bulletin board uh, material. Uh, I got, a got text on the captain's my... bulletin board. Did you really? I, it, I got texts from an unknown number uh, with a message saying, so juicy, uh, thank you. And uh, Trevor has been, has been tweaking me on Twitter over the past uh, couple of days. When you look at, I, I tweeted something about the Sony Open Field and how I couldn't wait to see Bryson. Uh, 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 Trevor uh, replied, how many possible international team players uh, on there? Uh, when I was tweeting yesterday about uh, the Georgia Bulldogs, he said simply, hopefully not a blowout, which was clearly a reference to my prediction. You have gotten on the, the wrong President's side Cup. of the cap. I've gotten oh, no. on the wrong side of the International President's Cup team tap. Uh, team captain i do not want it to be a blowout we cover these things team nobody events does. are, are does. probably the most fun we have during the year outside of our little boondoggle before the open championship that's probably the most fun we have all year i do not want it to blow up i unfortunately i i just think it is going to be but but yeah cam smith i don't care if he's the 10th ranked player in the world there are still loads of americans who on that golf course uh, i would prefer head-to-head to cam smith this is no ill will toward Cam Smith. It's certainly no ill will toward uh, Captain Immelman. I just don't think it's going to happen. That's not an indictment of him and his strategy. I, this American team is just perhaps as loaded as it's ever been. Oh, no. Ended up on the wrong side of the cap. And, and to be fair to you, I will say, I think we've said this every time. Like, look, we can make this prediction, and it, it, you probably, again, you always go one step too far. You realize that, right? I don't the, want the it to be a here. You always seem to stumble over the line. Neither one of us. No one wants it to be a blowout. I don't even think the American players want it to be a blowout anymore. We don't want to have the situation when we almost had a few years ago at Liberty National where the Americans almost could have closed it out on Saturday. No one wants that. We want it to be competitive. We want it, we want it to be like Royal Melbourne. Unfortunately, Royal Melbourne and Quail Hollow could not be any more different. No. So, uh, so what you're telling me is when you and I cover that together, you're going you're gonna to have to take the American team. Yes, I'm taking. I'm taking. The, I'm taking the Americans. Next time I, I see Trevor Immelman, uh, I'm hoping he is not frosty with me. I really like Trevor. Uh, we have a, a good rapport. Uh, unfortunately, I, I appear to be a, a currently on his on his wrong side. You, uh, yes, you, you are, and I think he's going to be a phenomenal captain. I thought Nick Price was an absolutely phenomenal captain. I thought go down the, captain, the list. The captain. The captains are not the problem. The format certainly does the international team no fa- no no favors. It, the Americans are just better. Like, that's just the state of golf in 2022. What are you going to do is. about it? All right. Uh, again, I'm going to pull back the screen here. In five minutes, we have an early season catch-up. That's what uh, our boss referred to this meeting. So I'm going to plow through one more thing that I wanted to touch on before I give you the floor. You haven't, on, even, t- uh, you haven't even touched on John Rahm. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I, we're gonna, I'm going to give you the floor to f- probably finish off on him. But I did see a tweet that I thought was so cool. And and here is – Was it for was it from Trevor Immelman? It was not, no, because I haven't gotten on his bad side because I, I wouldn't go out on a limb and say it's going to be a, the most lopsided victory, I, although I am going to call. I did not say it's going to be a lopsided victory. I said it's going to be a blowout. That's a, a oh, four, yeah. five, six what is point margin of victory. Of course, you are, you are the one, Rex, who predicted a uh, European blowout at the Ryder Cup. I believe you said it was going to be a four-point victory uh, for the Europeans, and yep. then, of course, 
it turned into a 10-point <laughs> historic beatdown, just a beatdown of historic proportions at Whistling Traits. That's, that is one that cold takes exposed uh, needs to bring up each and every fall. Again, uh, I'm not going to argue with that. You're basing your idea, you're basing your prediction that it's going to be a blowout later this year at the President's Cup on what we know. Common the sense. Facts that we know. On common sense. I'm basing it on common sense. Well, what we have seen out of the American team, what we have seen out of the international team at the President's Cup, what we saw out of the American team last year at the Ryder Cup, you're basing this all on the facts that we knew. Going into that Ryder Cup, I'm going to continue to fall back on that. Now we are three minutes from the early season catch-up, so you got me off topic. I based already it on told, the fact already that told, already told Big, Big Mersberg probably going to be a couple minutes late. Don't worry. All right. All right. But no, the tweet that I thought was so cool, and I'm sure you saw this, it was Danielle Kang. And she was in the airport. I believe it was at JFK. She was near gate B30 is what she says. And there were a line of Golf Digest magazines on, on one of those counters. And she just saw, stopped. She was on the cover and she signed. I saw her sign four or five in the video. But I thought, I, I am here for all of that. Like, I just think that's one of the, and we, that's the personality that when we talk about who are the golfers that you want to cover versus the golfers that you have to cover, that's a golfer that I want to cover because that's someone that understands that, yes, this is sport. And yes, I'm very, very serious about my craft and I always want to improve it, but there's an entertainment value to that. And I enjoyed that so much. Yeah. Daniel Kang is a, a feisty personality. Uh, so much, uh, she brings so much flavor to uh, the women's game and, and Rex, you've, you've covered uh, her in the past, including uh, at the Olympics not just Daniel King, but Nella Corda. I think once she gets even more comfortable in her skin, she has that type of potential to really be a captivating athlete, not just a captivating women's athlete, but a, a captivating athlete in general, in sports, period, and really become a, a household name. I am looking forward um, to the LPJ season kicking off in a couple of weeks. We had an opportunity. I touched on John Rom, Opportunity, actually, for Colin Morikawa to once again overtake him and John Rom, even though he did not win, did everything but shot 33 under par, broke the PJ tour, scored a par record, and it still wasn't enough. I mentioned this at Monday Scramble, but he's sort of getting used to these inexplicable disappointments. This was the guy who had a six shot lead at the Memorial and did not win. He tied for the lowest score at the tour championship and it was not credited with a win. Then he comes out at the tournament champions, breaks the score to par record, and doesn't win. There was varying reasons for that. It was COVID. There was the staggered start format. And of course, there was Cam Smith, who had his record-setting performance. Give me your impressions of John Rahm, week one, 2022, coming off a two-month layoff uh, and finishing second in his 2022 debut. This is the amazing thing to me. And the last tournament he played in the United States was the Ryder Cup. So that was September 26th that he played in the last tournament. And look, no one deserves Best player on the golf course. Best player on the golf course. And no one deserved a break better than him. Through 72 holes, and again, we have talked about the ease of Kapalua, but this is still amazing to me. He made one bogey. Like, when you talk about, oh, I need to play my way back into shape, I need to figure out how to knock some of this rust off, he shows up at midseason form. In my mind, going into this, and I think we had this conversation last week about Colin Morikawa, and I felt like he was due for a breakthrough. I was, in my mind, I was ready for Morikawa to be the world number one because of all the various scenarios. I felt like, okay, he can finish in the top three, if not win, based on what we know about him. Oh, my. I mean, for John Ron to come out swinging like that, I mean, it. you start to wonder if some of these things stop not going his way. I apologize for the double negative. 
if if he doesn't come down with COVID twice, if he doesn't end up in a staggered start tournament with a, with a weird scoring format, if he doesn't go against an Australian who is going to go one stroke more historically low than he went, all of these things, think about where he would be right now. I mean, not just in the world ranking, but kind of in the pantheon of how we rank all-time players. I mean, he's just relentless. He has to be the most feared player on the PGA Tour. If, if he's three or four shots back, you know he's coming for you. You know you're going to have to work for that title. That's just what John Rahm brings to the table. I mean, he made one eagle, 32 birdies, and one bogey, and did not win the tournament. Against eight of the top 10 players in the world, Rahm was fifth off the tee, second approaching the green, sixth around the green, and fifth in putting. I know that across the board excellence wasn't enough to get the win at the TOC, but that is going to be good enough most weeks on the PJ Tour. He is not going anywhere anytime soon. John Rom, an absolute force, and I don't care if he doesn't have the trophies to show to show for it yet. Uh, we'll do some news here before we get out of here. Just got breaking to- hashtag breaking hashtag breaking news here on the podcast. Tom Watson will join Jack Nicholas and Gary Player as the honorary starters on the first tee on Thursday at this year's Masters Tournament. That's pretty cool for a two-time Masters Tournament winner. Yeah, I like it. I mean, they've, they've clearly been trying to find that that third leg uh, ever since Arnie, unfortunately, passed last year. Lee Elder, he, although he wasn't well enough uh, to hit the ceremonial tee shot, it was a, a terrific a tribute to him uh, being able to have him on the first tee. Tom Watson certainly makes sense. And, and Rex, what do you think? Ben Crenshaw as ben. the permanent third leg of this ceremonial three ball or do you kind of like this rotating cast of characters uh i like the rotating cast of characters but i want ben to be the permanent member because he means so much to augusta but he also means so much really to to that tournament when you just think about it he is sort of the master of ceremonies we've heard it sort of the last couple of years where at the champions dinner he's kind of the guy that stands up and, and drives the conversation which is pretty amazing when you consider the people who are in that room and i just love to sit near him tell stories so as long as Ben Crenshaw keeps coming back to the Masters and has that spot year after year after year, I'm here for it. So that was one piece of news uh, on this Tuesday morning. Another piece oh, wow. of news, and, and way bigger, in my opinion, you bought a smoker. I did. You I'm looking at You bought a smoker. You had a $500 gift card. You bought a Pit Barrel Junior. A, have you fired it up? And B, what are your thoughts so far? Have not. I was going to do it yesterday for the big game, but my wife was doing uh, clam chowder, and her clam chowder is so good. So I didn't do it yesterday. I'm I'm on the. I'm going to do it this weekend for. As we all know, it's wild wild card weekend or super wild card weekend. I think is what they're calling it. And I was going to go with ribs because it looks like it's pretty straightforward. That that everything I have seen, the videos that I've watched. But then when I asked you the other day, I think I'm going to get this incorrect. But spatchcock chicken is that yep. correct? It is. Uh, it looks easy. It looks delicious. So I think that actually might be my first one. Yeah, I, I did recommend this pit barrel cooker, even though I do not have one of my own. People absolutely swear by it. If you can't visualize this, there's like two uh, pieces of rebar, right? I think it's called uh, that kind of is draped along the drum smoker and you hang the meat over the hot coals. The The food that comes off it is just supposed to be spectacular. I can't wait to hear uh, how that goes because it's just supposed to be uh, terrific. It's supposed to be a fun experience. It's supposed to be basically hands off. You light the fire, you uh, get the settings in place, and you smoke the meat. You're right. It is a super wild card weekend. Also, a big weekend in the Ladner household, uh, trying to finally get 
uh, my three-year-old son can potty train, so he's just going to be naked running around the house, uh, hopefully not urinating <laughs> Just like everywhere. you. That, 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 so it's going to be two of you just naked running around the house. Yes. I mean, I have to, I have to show him how to do it. Uh, my wife is, <laughs> is probably going to be uh, extremely annoyed, but I have a feeling we're not going anywhere this weekend while we try and um, get him out of these damn diapers. And so, yeah, I'm going to be doing a lot of cooking. Haven't thought that far ahead. Last night for the game, made chicken wings and pork tenderloin on the gateway drum, uh, very similar to your pepper cocoa, and it was delicious. So it's going to be a very big weekend in Labner household as well. All right, big weekend, and we had a big weekend coming up in golf. Check out the podcast next week when we will recap the Sony Open and look forward to the tour coming back to the United States. Do you have anything to say on the way out? Not really. Go dogs. There it is. Go dogs. Go dogs, and it's time for a nap.